Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca, and we are bringing you more content from the International Film Festival of Rotterdam, this time from the director Itonia Suimer-Gutormsen with her film Greet, all about performance art, creativity, self-delusion, and the spiral into madness. But it's about so much more than that. Join me as we talk. I enjoyed your movie very much. Thank you. Uh, I connected with it quite closely as someone who has spent a lot of time in theater over the years. I just wondered a little bit about your background. I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about where it came from for you. Yeah, uh, it comes from a a deep felt place. No. (laughs) So uh, this, uh, I mean, the character comes from, uh, I think it's now 14, how many years? Yeah, 12 years, 2009. Uh, this woman appeared in my uh, notion uh, of this quite possessed uh, or at least very cold uh, woman who, who, who had this mission that she had to accomplish. And, but she would be very alienating. She would be alienated uh, about her society, but also alienate others. And then she went through this radicalization process. That was in 2009. And I had already met Birgitte Larsen, who plays Grit in a film school film. And we really wanted to work together with this kind of uh, unusual woman type, driven uh, without uh, yeah, wanting to please anyone, just really... Uh, yeah, led by ideas and, and the goals to accomplish or change the world even. But uh, it, took, uh, it took a while because <laughs> it was a very ambitious. It was actually thought of as a feature film trilogy, thri- And I was just out of film school and I wanted to produce myself and do it very low budget and alternative. And yeah, it didn't get much interest. At t- some point, even I think a consultant said that but this is not a drama. This is not a. This is not a dilemma. It's it's a diagnosis. <laughs> 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 like this, dismissing it uh, in such a way. So that was kind of uh, alienating, I would say. So you can you could already see some links between the yeah. <laughs> its reality and mine, I guess. Well, it took me at least five years of of film and and in the field of arts where I participated in friends performances then started my own performance group eventually concerning the myth of Lilith uh, Adam's first wife mm-hmm. the Eden, and this performance group you also see in the film because yeah. that's how I make film I put put everything in that I <laughs> have for hand and, and are fascinated by it took some time to develop to gather strength and, and find the processes that I felt was more nurturing in the creative field and and then I wanted to apply that on film or or check out if it was possible to apply it in filmmaking and then uh, Birgit and I did the short film Retret in 2015 or Retract is the English title and that was when Grit or Grishanet came to be Uh, and then from the initial idea in 2009 where she became more of a activist performance artist I guess from my own experiences <laughs> and and also uh, because it was playful and, and yeah something I could talk about and it also seems very interesting in terms of looking at performance art and theater you sort of have to have delusions of grandeur to go along with the job to begin yes. with and yes. so like this whole idea of this developing and burgeoning sense of madness that leads to this passage in the woods is so 
iconic to me of so much of what I've seen in the theater. I really love that and the way that you take that in the performance arts direction. Cool. I think it's uh, because in Norway we have this we have this term hygge and uh, like kuschli, which is like cozy and uh, everything should be a bit like lukewarm uh, and uh, not too loud, not too this, not too that, like in the middle. And I guess this is common for many societies, but uh, maybe especially <laughs> Scandinavian society and uh, and so this kind of sincerity and and yeah obsession that, that Grit uh, has and this uh, actually faith in 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 her own capabilities of actually having an impact in the world is it's not very popular <laughs> in Norway <laughs> you should definitely have a drop of you know self irony or to lower yourself down a bit. So she doesn't possess that and that alienates people and provoke also. You have all mm. kinds of reaction on her, like from those who embrace her much more because they have gone down the, some of the same path to those who are so provoked and irritated, but still intrigued. And, and I find it very fascinating. I love this cultural concept that I've never had defined explicitly for me about Norwegian culture, but that definitely fits with the feeling that I get from everything within the film. I love that. And in terms of the way that she uses the people around her, because she's not just trying to fulfill her own dreams of whatever she's trying to do, she's also clearly trying to manipulate everyone around her to her own ends. And the way that she uses the detention center, I wondered, how did you come up with the idea for specifically that as a centerpiece of the story? Yeah, it's a good uh, question, because um, I think that's a really a thing which is up for discussion. I, I run a choir. I started a choir just after film school because I was so impulsive and uh, had so much eager in me and uh, it took so long to wait for the applications and rejections <laughs> so in the and we do this kind of strange uh, yeah we do some strange uh, kind of uh, it's called ambition above ability so we sing extremely different difficult things but without any requirements whatsoever and then often we go and collaborate with others which we find what we find necessary to like uh, do and then we at the point uh, in the refugee crisis we went to this refugee center and asked uh, if they could film their own days and then we wanted to use that as a backdrop uh, where we sang uh, Brahms uh, uh, or oh, what's it called again da, 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 da. Mm, yeah mm. yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> the one <laughs> and then with Syrian instruments etc and then after that I was like kind of questioning was this a bit tacky I mean I involve them like this and we, we feel it's like a healing project but still I mean they're still there and what to do about that. So I wanted to address that, yeah, to criticize myself a bit maybe. And and also I got very close with one of the guys there and uh, who plays uh, the lead, uh, the, the guy who's uh, mostly there, Asal. And I just wanted to have him in the movie and I felt it was uh, a good scenario for Grit because then I guess Lars Öyno becomes more what I was in, in real life. He wants to like use it for his art, uh, I see it more like that. He he wants to use it as in his art. Of mm -hmm. course, this is fiction because it's uh, my idea. So Lars Eno would never do that, but still. Uh, and then uh, Grit, when she has this uh, job and I think she, is, she connects with them and she feels, at least she uses that as an excuse for herself. But I really think she also feels that she can 
now get their stories out uh, mm-hmm. and that they deserve more than just to be some kind of decoration in the background. So I, I feel her intentions are not all bad, no. Also no, good. Mm-hmm. No, no. It, mm. it, it, it's always it's, writing the line. It's it, it's yeah. it, it's lovely the way that you portray that because you're always torn about how much of it is using and how much of it is at genuinely altruistic. And mm. you get this this feeling that I get from so many people in the arts who do similar things. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there is no. I mean, there is no good or bad. And I mean, at least. Uh, or maybe there is, but uh, not, yeah, I really don't want to make any like easy solutions in my film or judge past judgments on this. I, I try to describe a very desperate situation and a desperate battle of a person and, and then reflect our society and whether we're open or not through her. But she no. does do some very crazy things and, and she has, a, she's quite impulsive and sometimes very strange sense of judgment yes (laughs) yeah yeah and i wonder did birgitta larsen your wonderful actress i mean Mm. did she have a hard time connecting with this character at all or no she had a great time connecting i mean of course it's a it's a huge job she's doing it's an amazing job and we've been working together for so long i mean grit is something just uh, between us that uh that has his own life in a way, but but she has this take on Grit because I would always imagine Grit when I write for being maybe a bit more, um, even more serious maybe, or or more more uh, torn or or um, in pain. But then Birgitta always has this amazing kind of uh, humor to it, not uh, making fun of her because she's that's what she's not doing, but still she gives it a flavor of. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's an X factor that that really makes this character so strange. She would never go out in pain. She would always focus on something else, and yeah, which makes her bearable. I think. I just wondered if there were any specific notes that you gave her of characteristics she should take on. I felt throughout the film almost as if she was like a bird in some oh, sense. Oh yes, absolutely. That's so beautiful. And I, I didn't know if that was the direction you gave her or if that just sort of came through with wow, the way that... Mm-hmm. That just uh, came through. And I'm, uh, I, I don't direct Birgitta as much. Like, I don't give her... She's really... She, I explain, like, the background and psychic of and the journey of Girit, and then she totally embodies that and uh, explore herself. But then we always do a lot of, we do quite many takes where I would say, like, can you be more edgy or more laid back or so that I have in edits all these kinds of moods that I can play with. So you would have in one sequence, especially the long sequences, you would have different uh, tones. I could I could use that take from the more... And then that's from the more low-key and, and that can bring a sense. So, I mean, that's the amazing part with filmmaking that you can edit and you can really layer it out and create nuances later on. She's brilliant, I have to say. She yeah. is. But then you also layer on the edits and you have quite a number of jump cuts, I noticed. And I love the effect that that gives throughout the film as well in terms of this frenetic state constantly searching for the next thing and yeah i really wanted to make uh like to support her neurosis or her not neurosis but her 
yeah, nerve system and, and state of mind through through editing and, and through shooting also. We had the very like, do you know the dance form Five Rhythms? Have you heard of that? I have. Gabriel Roth. It's this very like alternative where you dance for two and a half hours and you go through five different rhythms. It's first flow, staccato, chaos, lyrical, and silence. And I had that as a manifest for the... My, my first script was just like a lot of drawings and then these chapters. And, uh, and uh, that we would use both for the shooting, like uh, which approach we have with the camera and for the music and for the editing. So she, we wanted to create more and more, yeah, have the camera to really build up on, on her travel and also then that the woods would be its own kind of metamorphosis out there <laughs> yeah. in the end. Yeah. And, and what do you feel like the metamorphosis is in the woods? I feel that yeah, I have a sense that she's very driven, driven by fire and the earth, no, uh, air, like the elements. When she's like in the whole beginning, uh, that's what she do. She thinks and she burns and she has passion and it's all mental and it's very like driven. And what she lacks is grounding and uh, softness and yeah. So when she comes to the woods, uh, it's both that she finds grounding and, and water cleansing. And then you have the support of the nature of the seasons. Like she comes there broken and she dies with the winter and then she races with the spring and, and unfolds with the summer. Hmm. Uh, so, so it's like she's tapping into some rhythms that are bigger than her and then kind of grounds her. And, and then with the whole clothing <laughs> metamorphosis, she is this kind of... Uh, I think when you have no sense of security, like house or relationships or money, clothing can be a shelter and a home. So all the way through the film, she's very sensitive. She kind of dresses up like if she's applying for a job, she has this kind of mm -hmm. suit on. And then when she's down at this alternative uh, underground milieu, she becomes more like uh, colorish and she kind of takes on what's there and and i feel that in the woods she kind of speaking of the, the motorcycle suit which is kind of a really a shelter like you know when you go in war you have this what do you call it armor battle armor yeah yeah that she needs to like at all be be able to hold herself together but then when she goes to the woods and kind of unleash uh, and fall apart and starts to just wear what is there and read what is there and eat what is there this new suit or uniform or yeah pilgrimage uh, costume with with some kind of magic elements with from the animals but also a bit from the uh, motorcycle uh, suit and then what she finds i feel that's really some a survival uh, <laughs> like yeah. yeah yeah that's how she managed to integrate also physically and that closing line that she has or among the closing lines where she's talking about how there is a mechanism to life, that that life is entirely made up of mechanisms that are sort of self-sustaining in some way. It's like she's retreating into intellectuality even further to escape whatever's going on in her situation. And I just wondered if you were very deliberately trying to cast this idea of homelessness in a completely different light as well at the same time. Absolutely. She's homeless in any sense. And she has to, she uses words and thoughts throughout the film to create a home or a reality. And then she finds something, she finds strength and additional support within in, in nature and 
her experience there, but she's still a thinking being. And I think that language will always be part of her. And I also feel that the kind of manifest or a text she's writing or, or her thoughts to the world, which is very dear to her, it's as if in the end it, it clicks on and becomes coherent with her. But before that, it's this huge gap between her thinking and her, uh, the way she experienced and, and put words into what she, her reality and, and what mm-hmm. is her reality. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, <laughs> big gap. Because it's interesting because I feel like your film both is and isn't a refutation of assumptions that are made. At least in the United States, there's a huge stigma around homelessness and assumptions made about homeless people or people who live in poverty that they must be at a certain intellectual level. There is obviously a lot of assumptions of mental health issues, etc. as well. So, mm. but the the presumptions that exist, I, I love the way that your film plays with those presumptions. And I just wondered if that was a conscious choice. No, not in that sense, I think. For me, it was just always this that Grishanette or Grit has a she has a very untypical Norwegian background. So, because she comes from this charismatic Christian society with a lot of half-sisters, and then she's torn out of that and moved across the country. And, and then her mother kind of falls apart and moves to Gran Canaria. And, and so she's always kind of alone, but she comes from a place of, of, uh, of faith and, and sincerity and charismaticness, or what you can call it. Like, uh, there is a lot of uh, strength in that and, and in the path. And, and she's a thinker and, and uh, she's... Uh, yeah, and an observer, I think. And, and then she, in the path of art and where she has been roaming around in Europe, etc., she has picked up on this and that. And essentially she is homeless and, and she has no safety net and, and uh, she hasn't built any substantial, uh, like uh, she hasn't put stone on stone. Those 17 years abroad was always in the moment and searching. Mm-hmm. And so I think she's kind of an unusual character, but definitely homeless. And she gets along with homeless people also from different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I I love that. And then the way that she interacts with her own sister when she goes to that scene where the scene in her friend's home where where she's telling the story of Lilith to her friend's daughter. And and she seems to be saying the most offensive things possible in sort of her sense of trying to defend her lifestyle. Yes, exactly. And that's a recognizable situation, I feel, when you're an artist. (laughs) You really had to grab some big, like, uh, you really have to find your defense then. When you're so, like, uh, you have nothing to show for, but this is your life. You haven't had any chance of getting around to a family or, or, or maybe you don't even want one. And... Yeah, and then confronted with this exhausted child uh, family, <laughs> which has really no capability of roaming that at the point. And uh, yeah, like the, what the, the guy there says about, uh, but can you live off that? Like those type of questions you always get as an artist, yeah. Uh, yeah. especially before you have manifested anything. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then, yeah, that's hard. That's a hard place to be. <laughs> incredibly hard and it's 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 so identifiable to anyone who's ever lived in that that artistic space yeah any freelance business i guess you have to really justify your existence which is so strange i mean there there should be so many 
I, I really want to question what we see as productive or worthy activities and worthy work. And why should we, I mean, we're so encaptured in this yeah, idea of productivity and uh, production and whilst uh, being walking around and being open and thinking, isn't that <laughs> quite good? <laughs> yeah. And I love the portrayal of the husband also getting very offended by her responses. And, mm. you know, of mm. course, of course, this yeah. is... Yes, of course. Yeah, it's just two sides of the table and it becomes tense because no no one of them are safe, really safe where they are. Or, or I mean, they are safe, but they're not easily confronted with, with the different. And now they're put together. So it's, yeah, yeah. Has, it's bound to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that sequence and I love that portrayal of her background and where she, quote unquote, should have landed. Mm. And in comparison to her ideas about the white inflammation that are so over the top. I wondered if you ever, as a performance artist, had an idea like that, like the white inflammation that was... I, I sure I sure would have something very similar to that, and I definitely now want to make the white inflammation. <laughs> <laughs> but I would go about it a different way, I guess. Or Yeah, but no, I, I love those big conceptual ideas. I mean, we did a confirmation in, in Lilith with my, my gang here, and, uh, and that was also like, we call it Eden Oslo, and we invited everyone to witness us uh, having this confirmation ritual after nine months of uh, confirmation education, where we educated ourselves in, in the myth of Lilith and tried to expand what the being a person and a woman could be. So, so I love to like play around with these things, and uh, but of course for Grit, it's a different cup of tea and coming. I think her biggest problem, maybe at least you can see that when she meets her childhood friend, is that she. She kind of turned her back to Norway as soon as she could and went mm. off. Also, of course, because she wasn't very rooted, but uh, still, and that that can be seen as quite arrogant. So when she comes back and then wants to criticize <laughs> this uh, this society, I mean, that's not making it easy for yourself. And we have this in Norway. We have this law of Janta, you know. With uh, I don't know if you know it, but it's from Axel Sandemusa. It's a common Scandinavian thing where. You have like 10 commands. Thou shall not believe you are anything. Thou shall not. It's a poetic kind of a made to visualize or to put light on how we are, have this social mechanism where we are kind of trying to control, to make this safe, uh, homogenic, uh, well-functioning society where everything, everyone falls into place, you know, which is a, I mean, we have a very well-functioning society, but but is it roamy enough? Can you be a hyper loud uh, girl in school or... Can you be a bit over the top sensitive or do you have to have a diagnosis to go with that so that people can comprehend you? Or huh, That's a yeah. very interesting idea. And I didn't realize it was quite so rigid in certain societal structures. Do you feel like you are always operating on the margins in terms of your work, in terms of trying to push the boundaries? Yes, absolutely. I think I see a boundary and it, I get this... <laughs> crave to <laughs> push it I think I always had that in me and I think when I discovered the, the myth of Lilith that became kind of a I found my guiding star there because she's kind of yeah what that goes for the unknown and wild and free that's really that attracts me and, and then when when you have convention like in filmmaking like you should do it this way or that way or in school and all that uh, suits me quite badly yeah <laughs> then I want to. Then I want to push it. Yes, 
I actually had a conversation just recently with Anna Hirtgutu about her film oh, Manifesto. Yes. No, and just talking about the way that business and bureaucracy are creeping into the arts in the yes. worst possible ways. I mean, and this is happening globally, uh, not just in Norway. I have been a Latin teacher for most of my life, and it was happening in the classroom. It's just one of those things where you're constantly pushing back against something and... Yeah, for me, it's like I, I cannot have children because then I know I would have to start a, a school because when I, I've been visiting schools with my, like, uh, we have something called the Cultural School Sack in Norway. It's a great thing where artists can go to schools like primary schools and high schools uh, and show their film or do a workshop or whatever. Very good thing. Then I've been, I've been so miserable because I see so much, like both this uh, digital optimism, getting everyone iPads, and you see that the role of the teacher just crawls in like I was at one place where you had to stand like in a corner with the half your face covered by a digital projector and instead of like there was no and all these schemes you are filling out and all these goals that you are supposed to there was no take on like okay lust lust of teaching curiosity yeah. who are yeah. you what is life you know yeah. yeah it's really that's so hard it's so sad it's so sad and in the united states like we keep claiming we're here for critical thinking and yeah we're here to teach you how to think oh yeah well um give me time <laughs> Yeah. Time with the kids to do this. Time is essential. Time and space to explore and roam and just uh, be silly and think and be unproductive. I think if you take that away from the kids, and that's uh, violent. But, but maybe uh, this all uh, ap- apocalyptic age we're in now can change that, I hope. Yeah. Crush capitalism. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I feel right now, but that's kind of what my podcast is all about. That's great. Days, so. Yeah, that, I, saw, I saw the themes, so I'm, I'm going to get into that. I saw your themes. Uh, really interesting. Oh, well, thank you. I love your film, and I love the themes of your film. And I cannot tell you how much I loved both the way that you are able to capture so many of these ideas, but also the performance by Birgitta Larsen. I think it's beautiful. And your mm. work together really shines. And I want to thank you so much for your time and for this film. Thank you so much for having me, Adia. And uh, good luck with your podcast in the future. I'm going to spread the word so that we can all be enlightened by you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And good luck with the festival. I hope you have a wonderful time. Yes, I do. I'm here in Oslo, at Rotterdam and Gothenburg right now. So, sorry. <laughs> Yay! Yay. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, yeah. Take care. You too. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening, and thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, Take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now, and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that also reside in Virginia and have made innumerable contributions to our region. I am grateful to work on this land. 
I acknowledge these facts in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. We will continue making our rounds of the festival circuit with guests from the International Film Festival of Rotterdam. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Podchaser. Doesn't have to be anything fancy, just a simple RTO rocks my socks is good enough. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.